Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Ultimate Comics Podcast. Uh, here we talk about comic books, specifically Ultimate Marvel comic books. That's not really to say that it is the Ultimate Marvel experience, but that's the brand. These are the Ultimate Marvel comics that were very popular throughout the 2000s. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Nabil Gaber. And I'm the other one, Josh Kang. And today we're going to focus in on Ultimate Spider-Man. So that's uh, the rebooted version of Spider-Man in a different universe, the Ultimate Universe. And it was very different from the mainstream Spider-Man from Earth-616 that had been around since Amazing Fantasy 15 in 1962. Uh, so this project was helmed by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley, uh, a great creative team for this new modern version of Spider-Man. And uh, we're just going to go over like the first couple of arcs today and it's quite different i think from the original spider-man stories but it's what i really like about it is maintains the essence of spider-man a lot of the spirit of those stories there's a lot of tribute to that and you can tell there's love for it uh josh what do you think of these issues no um i agree with you it's very similar um or in keeping the spirit of 616 like i read um, my, my first comics i have ever read was amazing fantasy number 15 and oh, really? reading, yeah, and reading this, it was kind of like rereading Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, but with like a more updated feel. A lot of the panels are like nearly shot for shot. The st- basic storyline of like Peter Parker, uh, Uncle Ben, the Spider, are like seventy five percent the same, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like it's very modernized and updated, as in they stretch out Amazing Fantasy fifteen into like seven issues. So they really expand on the story and give it a lot more time and more room to breathe. Amazing Fantasy 15 was the origin of Spider-Man. It was just like, I want to say 10, 11 pages long. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. So this is definitely a, a little more fleshed out. I mean, I love those original issues and especially that origin. I'm with you, Josh. Like Amazing Fantasy 15 was one of my first. I read like all the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko original stuff. But Ultimate really cleans things up from what I thought when I was reading it. It definitely takes a lot of the good and really accentuates that over some of the stuff that was a bit clunkier. Um, yeah. One thing um, we were talking before this podcast was when we are just talking about like our review of what we read, and something both you remembered and I, you saying that made me remember was if you watch the 2002 um, Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, this is basically almost, they're pretty similar. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man 1 through 7 is very similar to um, the Sam Raimi movies, um, the first movie. Yes, exactly. I mean, you can see it pretty much everywhere. You look at the role of Mary Jane. She is now, like, not only the girl next door, but also more of a high school uh, love interest and also, like, a friend. Uh, that didn't come through as much. In the Raimi movies, like their early friendship going on. But what I really loved about reading these early issues of Ultimate Spider-Man is that the difference there. Mary Jane wasn't just like this girl next door who just suddenly pops into his life. It's like she's his best friend. And even though that specific part didn't carry over, you can see in the Raimi movies how like they grew up together in high school. And, you know, she was the girl next door. In the original comics, they just like met when he was in college. She just randomly showed up one day. They hadn't met for years before that. So this is very different. 
And one thing else other than Mary Jane that's there is is Harry Osborn. He's there too from the very beginning, according to Ultimate Spider-Man, where Harry Osborn's the rich kid that Peter that Peter hangs out with, you know? Yeah, he's kind of like more part of the popular crowd in this one. Like, it's really funny how in the original comics, everyone was kind of like really terrible to Peter Parker, except like Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Here he's got like some friends a little bit. Like MJ is like obviously his best friend. Harry's like kind of his friend, but you can tell he's still like hanging out with the cool kids. Like he'll go over to Peter and just be like, hey, man, like, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Just try and stay out of Flash Thompson's way or something. It's very different from the movies where he's like, oh, Peter's my best friend and everyone hates me because I'm the rich kid. It's like, no, Harry is like one of the cool kids. But it is oh, yeah. cool how they meet in high school here rather than college. They really just like start from the beginning, like knowing everything that's happened in the early comics. They kind of just streamline it and they're like, let's have them meet earlier. Why not? Yeah, which I feel is the point of Ultimate Marvel was to streamline everything, get everything fixed up for the modern age and also for the movies that were going to come out soon. Yeah, exactly. I mean... You can see there are like set photos of like the early Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies from Spider-Man 1 specifically of like Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi like reading Ultimate Spider-Man for inspiration, which is really Really? cool. I mean, to anyone who doesn't read comics, it's probably just like, oh, let's read a Spider-Man comic. But like, that's just really cool showing the wide influence that Ultimate had. You can see it everywhere, like the fight Spider-Man has with Flash Thompson in these early issues, like, after he gets his powers, he gets into a fight, and, like, it's a big deal, and they recreated that in the first Spider-Man movie. Yeah, and also the role of Oscorp in him getting the powers is something that carried over from Ultimates into the movies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think what I pointed out was really funny is, like, at the beginning of the first issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, I think, like, Norman Osborn hands this, like, genetically altered spider to his assistant and the assistant is like freaked out and he just throws it in a jar and he forgets <laughs> to put the lid on and i'm pretty sure that's the whole reason peter gets his powers like it's part of this whole like oscorp experiment like they're trying to recreate i think the super soldier serum like what's cool is that they connect it to the rest of the marvel universe and they're like genetically altering spiders to s- test stuff out but it's still like a freak accident because this stupid assistant just like doesn't put the lid back on the jar and the spider gets loose. <laughs> yeah. Um, but going off what you said about super soldiers, like um, in the MCU, like everything is based off of like people trying to replicate like the Captain America formula. And this, and like same with the Ultimates. And this is, I think, first seen in Ultimate Spider Man because Ultimate Spider Man was the first Ultimate comics issue, I believe, where like. Norman Osborn is trying to recreate the super soldier serum with spider stuff that becomes and that eventually results in Spider-Man. Yeah. And I mean, you can totally see that too in the movies, like going back again, like we're going to talk about the movies a lot just because I feel like no matter which era of Spider-Man film you talk about, ultimate is going to have some influence on it in one form or another. And like Norman Osborn is very prevalent, especially in those Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies where, like, his destiny and his, like, accident is, like, intertwined with Peter Parker's. And that takes a lot from Ultimate, like you said. And what's also cool is uh, Doc Ock, you see him in his early stages before he becomes 
Dr. Octopus, like Harry Osborn, like nicknames him Doc Ock. And you like see him working for Oscorp and they like carried that over into stuff like the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. I mean, some people complain that like, oh, all Spider-Man's villains are like connected to his world in some way. But I'm it's like, this was fun. This is like, why, why couldn't he work in Norman Osborn's lab? I think that's a really cool way to like tie everything together and make it a lot tighter of the, of the universe. Oh, oh yeah. Though I kind of feel uh, that part where Dr. Octopus um, is close to Spider-Man. I think if we first, I could be wrong, but I think it's, it was first in the Spider-Man TV show in 1994, right? Where they connected Dr. Octopus to Peter Parker. That's uh, right. Yeah. Oh my God. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. In the animated series, he was like, the science teacher at least peter parker went to like a science camp when he was really little yeah. and Otto octavius was there yeah that's such a cool yeah i can thanks for reminding oh my god yeah i'm geeking out now yeah they yeah. it's a really cool way to tie it together and like the parallels i think between peter parker and Otto octavius i mean this is going to disappoint you guys listening but like Otto octavius doesn't show up in like the first 13 issues outside of that like one appearance or whatever but still, like, it's really cool to talk about. And I think one thing The Ultimates does is, like, it tries to, like, come make things fresh. And one thing uh, TV shows did, because comics were at the time so convoluted, was, like, make things fresh. And Ultimates, off, uh, most TV shows are, and stuff are based off Ultimates, but Ultimates also took inspiration from non-616 uh, mediums and, like, put them into a comic form. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. I mean, if we're going outside of that, going to, like, Ultimate X-Men, like, that took a lot of inspiration from, like, the Brian Singer X-Men movies, because I think, like, the first one came out, like, a year before Ultimate X-Men did. So it's kind of, like, secular, the way that they influence each other. Mm-hmm. Circular. Did I say secular? Oh, I just invented a word. Secular. It's a new word. Look it up. The Oxford Dictionary. I'm just clearly the more educated one on this podcast. Josh, keep up. Why aren't you inventing words? Um, you know, I, I I must not have your incredible literary skills, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Oh, yeah. But going back to what you said, I think someone, I'm not sure if this is an official term, but someone described it as the Peter Parker syndrome, where, like you said, all the Spider-Man villains are connected to him. All the Spider-Man stuff is connected to him. Yeah, and yeah. Like, yeah, and I think, uh, well, like, well, Ultimus is not the one who started, but I think Ultimus is the one that made it big, where all the Spider-Man villains were connected to Peter Parker. Like, oh, like, this villain worked with Peter Parker's dad in the in, when his dad was a scientist. This villain was Peter Parker's gym teacher or whatever. That all, like, stems from Ultimate Spider-Man, I feel. Yeah, I feel like at times that may seem a little too convenient, and I can get that, but there are some times when it's cool. Like, in the second story arc, like, Peter hunts down the kingpin because he's, like, the head of organized crime. And obviously his uncle was killed by someone who was a criminal. Like, he wasn't just a random burglar. Like, this is a guy who's, like, deep in the trenches of crime. And so he goes after him. And at the same time, there are also villains that aren't really related to him. Like, Electro shows up. And I think what's really funny about that is, like, they don't really explain how he got his powers. Like, he even asks him, like, yeah, out of scientific curiosity, how did you get your powers? And Electro's just like, why would I tell you? Who cares? Like, 
that's something they kind of cleaned up a bit from the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko era where like villains would have like long backstories, you know, that would take up like a quarter of the issue at least. And here they're just like, ah, you know, like someone like Electro, it's like, who really cares? You know, like just let's get to it. Like he has powers, he's got electric, but like whatever, you know, unless it's like really tied into who Peter Parker is and his story, they kind of keep it more focused on him than like the villains. Which has its pros and cons, but I think in that case, I'm like, yeah, whatever, let's move on. It's Electro, so what? My pet theory is that any villain, they don't specify the origins of their powers. I My, my theory is they're just a mutant. Because oh. in Marvel, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be really cool. I, I feel like you're just saying that because you love mutants. Uh, I have like a mixed feeling on mutants because for the same reason, a lot of Marvel people or people who know Marvel have a feel, have a mixed feeling about mutants but i kind of feel with like especially with mutants getting slowly erased out by like just different editorial and corporate decisions at marvel that like the whole point of mutants is that they're born with power so i feel if you're not going to give a origin story to a person with powers just say they're a mutant make it simple for all of us you know yeah that's easy i don't think that happens as often now at marvel uh especially since they retconned like scarlet witch and quicksilver being mutants Oh, man. So, like, I, anyone... Like, let's be sure no one likes that. Yeah, I mean, anyone not directly, like, in the X-Men world right now just can't be a mutant. Which I'm just like, ah, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I like how, like, anyone could be a mutant. It makes the world feel more connected that way. Yeah. My favorite thing about that world is that, like, now we have characters like Wiccan and, like, and like uh, what was it? Who's a little Molly, Molly, Molly Hayes in Runaways? And they're mutants and, like... And you have to like come up with really special ways to make sure they don't go to Krakoa or whatever the X-Men are nowadays. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's fun to tie them in. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, like in that vein, let's just say Ultimate Electra is a mutant. I mean, I they might give him more backstory later on, but I completely forgot about those later issues. I'll have to go back and reread them. Same. Um, also, like Ultimates does have like a tradition of making non-mutant characters mutants. Like Wasp and Ultimate Wasp is a mutant in the Ultimate Mar- Marvel That's comics. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like no matter where you go in the Ultimate Universe, you're going to hear the mention of like mutants somewhere. Especially Ultimate Spider-Man, they do a good job of that. Like you're in the school, and people will just casually be talking about like other parts of the universe. They'll be like, you know, do you see that guy? He looked like a Green Goblin. It's like, no, nah, man, that's the Hulk. You know, something like that. And people going yeah. like, oh, are you a mutant? Do you hear that guy was a mutant the other day? Yeah, it really did you hear Liz together. and her family like ran away? Because like, Liz was a mutant, so her entire family like ran away to another country to just like one day like in the night, stuff like that. Yeah, it's just awesome. I love how they do that. I, yeah. The universe definitely feels like 1960s Marvel when everything was a lot smaller and you had like a few titles but they all like crossed over at one point or knew each other. It was just a small world before they expanded and like everything got like larger than life and like really hard to keep track of. This is definitely really clean, like the beginning of this ultimate universe. And yeah, and I and what I really enjoyed about reading rereading Ultimate Comics is that like Peter's in high school and he's dressed the way pretty sure you and I were probably dressed in high school with like a shirt, jeans and plaid shirt, and then like amazing fantasy, like Peter is dressed in a waistcoat. Like a fully buttoned up student tie. No one dresses oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Most, yeah. He looks like a total, like, I didn't, can't even tell you, like, he's dressed for a picture day, like, every day of the year in those early Spider Man comics. That's the only way I can describe it. 
Like he's, he's going out to like a really nice dinner like every single day of the week. His face is like rectangular too. Like he looks like an adult. Yeah, I mean, I think well, this the problem too. Like even Ultimate Six One Six, it doesn't matter. Peter Parker is way too good looking to be a nerd. I'll just say that right now. They start him off in Ultimate and in Six One Six. You know, kind of nerdy looking with the glasses. He's scrawny, you know. And then later on, he's like a hunk. It's insane. I mean, in Ultimate, he never gets as like big and muscular as he does in the 616. But man, it's just not fair. I'm just like, this guy's supposed to be a nerd? No way. He takes off the glasses. It's like Clark Kent Superman difference. But I think one thing Ultimate does really well was saying like, maybe it wasn't his looks. Maybe it was just his personality, which is like you see like Mary Jane catching the glances of him because... She knows his personality, and like when he like becomes more like outgoing and joins the basketball team, which spoiler if you haven't read it, uh, Peter Parker joins the basketball team for a short while. Like one of his bullies be- tries to become his friends with him, Liz Allen, who doesn't like him and like said some really gross stuff about him, like gets has like a crush on him. Yes. Maybe it was just an attitude this whole time, which is like what people say about like appearances, like not your appearance is your attitude. And can we just talk about how awesome it is seeing what he does? when he gets his powers, because they go really deep in Ultimates in a way that uh, 616, Amazing Fantasy 15, the original origin of Spider-Man, they didn't do because they didn't have the room to do it. They moved really quick, you know. In these first seven issues of Ultimate Spider-Man, it feels like a teen movie. Like, these first, it feels like one, like, complete story. And it's really fun to see what he does with his powers, because I feel like that's informed, like, every Spider-Man origin story to come in, like, movies, TV... He gets lost in the sauce. I'll tell you that. Like you said, he joins the basketball team. He's like getting into fights. What else is he doing? Like, yeah, he's about to like make out with Liz Allen at a party. He is losing himself. In the sauce. In the sauce. And it's insane. He also wrestles that wrestler, which happens, I remember, from in the original comics. But they just show one fight. In this one, he goes like all out. It's kind of like the... uh, the movie, uh, well, I'm guessing this is where the movie got it from. Not rather than not the really short fight with in in six one six, but this fight where he like loses it, calls himself Spider Man and everything, and becomes famous. Yeah. yeah, and like the original comic, there's just one fight, and he moves on to showbiz, like he's a TV performer. I personally like that. I think it's cool that like he makes the costume and just goes like on TV, and he's like blowing out candles with his webs. It's really fun. But this is oh, definitely yeah, like about that. this is a this is a little different. They're like, let's just keep him a wrestler like the whole time. And yeah, I think it's funny how they make it. As, it's the gimmick now. He just makes money going up on into the ring, picking up the guy and throwing him onto the floor, and that's the whole fight. And they're like, let's just make <laughs> let's do this every night. It's just so funny to me. I don't know why. And I think it's cool that uh, the wrestler, the wrestling agency, they like provide him his original costume without the webs or anything but it's not like you know a teenage kid miraculously made like a professional spider-man suit and i think that a lot of people don't like i'm oh, sorry you're saying something no no, i was done oh sorry but a lot of people i met like they didn't like how an mcu uh tom holland spider-man like doesn't make his own suit but like i'm thinking like but realistically like, like peter parker already like makes the webs and in this one he reverse engineers the webs which is still pretty impressive like just he probably can't make a suit. And this one, I guess, is the one that started the trend of saying, "No, Spider-Man like can make modifications to a suit." 
But let's be fair, he probably doesn't know how to sew like a skin tight costume. From yeah. Day one. Amazing Fantasy 15, like, first he just goes into the ring and he's like wearing like, you know, a sweater and he's got like pantyhose on his head, you know, and it's like, okay. I can see this being homemade. And then you see his costume that he makes when he goes on TV, and it's way more professional. He's got the full Spider-Man costume out of nowhere. And it's like, there's no way he did that. There's no way. And for those of our listeners who are like used to Spider-Man in the cartoons or in the movies, this, the first Spider-Man costume is way is a bit more ornate than the than like the movie Spider-Man costume. Like it has web, it was like webs on his like armpits and stuff. It's insane, and I think what's really cool about this is, like, it's not like Tony Stark gave him his costume, you know? He's not Iron Man's apprentice. People have mixed feelings on that. I would get into it, but that would just take, like, the entire podcast. But at the same time, it's like, it's not like he just made a professional costume itself. The wrestling guys were just like, here, take this, and he just adds the webs later. Yeah. Another really cool thing was seeing him, like, develop his web shooters off of his parents, his dad's design, like, his dad's formula. Because they ca- that carried over into like the Amazing Spider-Man movies and stuff, and that's just a really cool idea. It's like carrying on the legacy of his parents. I've, it was, his parents, their history was a bit shaky in Six One Six. Some people like the fact that they were like in the CIA and also in Shield. Some people don't. Uh, I but mean, what do you think, Josh? I, I've heard your I, opinions a little bit on this. I, I I think well, look, they're normal normal people, and like. I don't want to be that guy that like if you're not like a James Bond person you're in, and you're in the CIA you're probably a pretty close to a regular guy who goes to work at a desk. I know that's not the case with his parents but like yeah cuz like, they're like killed by the red skull. Yeah. Which again ties the universe together but I'll be honest if they were like low ranking shield or CIA people like like I mean that's impressive but that's not like so unrealistic like James Bond unrealistic like that could happen to be like that could be your parents theoretically oh yeah totally but in like ultimate they're just scientists and some of what they do comes in to play later on without saying too much but it's cool how they connect it to him a little more and you can see the influence on later media of Spider-Man as a whole I feel like generally uh ultimate Spider-Man like I don't know I just keep saying this but more and more as a whole like ultimate spider-man takes all the good stuff and everything that worked and they just polish it up a little they don't try to do things drastically differently they don't try to like change who he is they're just like let's do everything we love about spider-man but let's do it for the 21st century and i think that's what and i didn't start out reading ultimate so i think the first time i a lot of my friends who started reading marvel read ultimate spider-man for me i didn't read ultimate spider-man until high school but i was like hooked when i started reading ultimate spider-man just because like how like close to the time of the story of spider-man it is but updated for the 21st century the 2000s 2010s the 90s ultimate spider-man works for you yeah i mean totally I remember reading Ultimate Spider-Man when I was first getting into comics. I was huge into Spider-Man. I'm still huge into Spider-Man. He's always been my favorite. But I got that Ultimate Collection of like the first 13 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. And at the time, I was like 9 or 10. I couldn't really tell the difference between Ultimate Spider-Man and like Amazing Spider-Man. It all just felt the same to me. And I read it, and I'm like, this is different. 
but it still feels like this is pure Spider-Man. I mean, this is like so cool. Like I loved seeing him like take on the Green Goblin and the Kingpin and like seeing his origin over again. Oh yeah. It just it doesn't feel that different. I feel like if you look at other Ultimate stuff, you're gonna be like, this is a bit of a departure. I don't know about this. Like Captain America's like insult in France and Hank Pym is like uh, full on like you know domestic abuser. It's intense, and you read Ultimate Spider-Man, and you're like, this is great. And I think some things really just uh, improved on that. I just want to take a minute, too. Uh, this is just like, before I forget to talk about it, like the relationship I was reading, it what really stuck out to me was like the relationship between uh, Peter and MJ is so like different from like how it first was in the comics. I feel like eventually they get there. This is just like an example of something that, Ultimate Spider-Man gets to way earlier in its run than like Amazing Spider-Man does, but like they get to a point where like MJ is his best friend, and I think that's just so awesome, and it's so nice to see like it's not like she's just like this love interest that appears like an Amazing, like in Amazing, eventually, you know, it was like after Gwen Stacy died or something, they got to the point where it's like no, she's his best friend, and they also love each other. But what I love about reading Ultimate Spider-Man is like it's such a sweet innocent like romance with like peter and mj but they're also like best friends they're like the nerds and it's cool seeing peter get like a friend early on rather than like everyone just hating on him from the get-go yeah and may i say something about gwen stacy i know this might be a bit of a spoiler but like gwen stacy does appear in ultimate spider-man and may i say something about her please please go ahead i want to hear this so in, in Spider Gwen, Gwen Stacy is like really cool. She's in a rock band and everything. She's like a punk. I in Ultimate Spider Man, Gwen Stacy is again the cool, like the cool rebel kid in in Ultimate Spider Man. Yes, and I think that's something that's carried over to the main Marvel stuff. That like the mainstream understanding of Gwen Stacy now. Yeah, I mean, I way prefer Ultimate Gwen honestly over mainstream. Mainstream Gwen is like. You read the original comics, and she's kind of boring. I mean, it's cool that she's, like, into science and stuff, but she's, I don't know, she's not a fully fleshed-out character. They kind of retroactively do stuff later on, like, decades later, but the original Gwen Stacy, yeah. Like she banged uh, Green Goblin. Uh, let's, Let's erase that from the record. Dear God, I'm sorry. To everyone who heard what heard what nothing happened uh that never happened ever in the history of ever let's just sins past is something that i think everyone wants forgotten marvel wants it forgotten it never happened yeah uh, but going off what you said i think like people i'm not sure like people kind of tr- like wednesday so like you said in the original comics was kind of like uh i don't know this is too obscure of a reference but kyle rayner's girlfriend in when he first appeared in Green Lantern, her whole point was to be a love interest that eventually dies. Oh, woman in refrigerator tropes. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, woman in refrigerator. It originated with like Kyle Rayner, the 90s Green Lantern, for everyone who doesn't know. His girlfriend getting killed and stuffed in a refrigerator. Which I think uh, it was Gail Simone, if I'm not mistaken, like a comic book writer. Yeah. Really, who like, started, like I think, a whole site like just talking about the trope of women in refrigerators and how terrible it is. Like everyone talks about it now, like they fridge someone. And I think that's Gwen Stacy too. She kind of was there to be, I don't think Stan Lee wanted her dead. Uh, He really liked her, but I think most 
people really preferred Mary Jane because at least she had like some personality. Poisonality. Poisonality. She's from Jersey. There's, there's also they, they are close to Jersey, but they, uh, they're in New York. Uh, but, well, I guess Queens, not Brooklyn. But uh, one thing else that's really uh, the the trope is also like I, I don't know the exact parameters of this trope, but there's also the I killed Gwen Stacy trope. Oh, what's that? Or like the the I killed Gwen Stacy trope. I could be wrong, and I'm pretty sure if we're wrong, someone's gonna comment here, uh, like like send us a really nasty email about it. But <laughs> this idea that like a hero like feels a lot of guilt for like killing their friend and their love interest, and like Spider-Man fails to catch Gwen Stacy and she dies, and that becomes like a trope. Oh man, like him reliving the experience over and over again. Yeah, or like that being like the judge, like the main thing like motivating the character you know oh yeah i mean he's got peter parker's got a lot of that i mean uncle ben gwen stacy who else like gene DeWolf for people who are hardcore into spider-man like captain stacy gwen stacy's father mm-hmm. but ultimate gwen oh my gosh let's get to ult because like yeah she's just she's all over the place and it's awesome she's like a troubled kid and i think what's cool is that like she's not really like there's no weird love triangle between her and Peter and MJ, you know, it's just like, she's just this weird new kid that like Peter doesn't know what to do with, just adds a new dynamic to the house. And speaking of like, cause she develops a good relationship with Aunt May and Aunt May in ultimate, we haven't gotten to this yet. She is awesome. I think she's definitely an improvement on the original. It was like, I'm going to die. If you tell me that you're going to be home late, you know, that yeah. Aunt May, this is like, she feels like more of a mom, this new version of Aunt May. And Uncle Ben definitely feels like more of a dad, too. And you get to know him more, like, in these first, like, few issues before he gets killed off. Like, in the original story, he's, like, one and done, introduced and killed in the same story. But Uncle Ben, you get to get a feel for who he is more. He's, like, a jokester. He's, like, an annoying dad figure. But, like, it's also nice to see, like, the bond between the three of them, like, Peter, Aunt May, Uncle Ben... Like, it's a real family, and you really feel that. I think Brian Michael Bendis, the writer, he said he based this version of Aunt May on his mom, and it really shows. Like, she's really strong, and she's, like, fun, and at the same time, like, she's always, like, concerned for Peter, just like the original Aunt May, but without, like, the frailty of, like, I'm gonna keel over and die. And I think that carried on to um, other versions of Aunt May, like in Amazing, where she's a nurse, or in uh, MCU, where she's, like, she has, like, a nonprofit. In the video game, she has a nonprofit, and I think one thing that like people have always complained about Aunt May, and I think part of the problem, the problem with like Marvel's weird timeline too, is kind of is the fact that characters like uh, she realistically she's not of the age to be Peter's aunt, even if she's like the much older wife of Peter's dad's brother, older brother. Oh boy, you just, you pulled like a you received space balls like my father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. That's just like that's me doing the math in my head right now at like the relationship you just described to me. That's like, oof. Yeah, but like she's always frail, and then like Peter like gets older in the comics, and then she has to like stay. She must be, she has to like become super super old. But like this Mont May like started this trend of like Mont May is like still old, but like not like elderly old yeah like she's really tough like she's not like 
a big con- like the concern here isn't like if she's going to like die every five minutes it's actually like relationship concerns the Yazoo is on i think there's a really cool scene uh later on after uncle ben dies and peter's out like you know hunting this kingpin or something and he comes home and she's really sad and it's like a really good realistic show of like grief and loss because she's just like do you like me peter like why are you always gone? Like, I miss your uncle so much. You just get the feeling of, like, she's vulnerable emotionally, like, after losing her husband. You don't really get to see it as much initially in the comics, but you get to see, like, her go through that loss and also her, like, struggle to, like, maintain a relationship with her nephew who's, like, always out and away. Like, they can't connect as much. That really hit me a hard emotion because I think we've all had points where, like, we've had loved ones, like, you know, worry or just feel like we're not they're not part of our lives as much as we want. And that really hits hard. I think that's a good, like realistic way of showing it. Like a lot of things in ultimate Spider-Man, you really get the teen experience of like struggling with family and school and whatever else you have going on. Yeah. And I think less, less, maybe I'm like in this comic, like it's so much more obvious what like Spider-Man symbolic of like, it's of like, growing it's like it's the loss of your innocence as a as a boy as what whether it's like you're watching your uncle die whether you're like you start realizing this world's all the problems with this world like and partially because i think ultimately was supposed to do that with brian michael bendis and mark millar pushing these messages but in these political and uh, sociological messages but in ultimate spider-man like spider-man it's so much more obvious that like what spider-man is supposed to be a symbol of uh, like to the reader is this is like his. It's Peter realizing you have to be this good person in this world that's not very good at times. Yeah, it's so pure and like innocent. I think there's a really great montage like after Uncle Ben dies in Ultimate, when Peter has this like big moment of clarity. He's like, "All right, I need to step up now. Like I can never let this happen ever again." And you see this montage of him like saving so many like countless people because he's like, "Now I know what to do. Thank you, Uncle Ben. Like I made a huge mistake." And I think you get to see like the cost of not being a good person and why that means like you really have to like do good in this world and be good because like if you don't like bad things happen, you know, you got to do your part and like live up to your responsibility. And it's very coming of age. It's like he's thrust into that immediately. One mistake and he's got to like go right into like maturity and closer to adulthood. Yeah. And talking about um, modernization and talking about money and keeping up with your responsibilities. Uh, they changed the Bugle story quite a bit for this one, too. They they modernized the he gets a job at the Bugle story um, from the original comics. Yeah. I mean, they start out with, like, him, like, taking pictures of himself again, just like in, like, the comics and the movies and things like that. And he brings in the pictures, and they like the pictures of the Daily Bugle. He brings them into J. Jonah Jameson and Robbie Robertson. Like, all the classic stuff, but then I think they have, like, a problem at the Bugle with their computers, and he ends up becoming, like, a web designer. It's a very modern approach to things. It's like, oh, he's not a freelance photographer at the Bugle. He's using, like, his knowledge, like, as a nerd, as, like, a science guy. He's like, yeah, I'm going to help with, like, web design at the Bugle, which is very, like, it's a very new and very cool idea. And also, I think it's a much more modern idea as, like, realistically, a newspaper wouldn't hire a freelance uh, photographer who's only, what, 15, 14, 16? Yeah, I mean, I really don't see that. There's a really fun scene, too, where, like, 
uh, he has to call his aunt when he's at the bugle and she like gets on the line with J. Jonah Jameson just to make sure like everything's okay with him working there. And you don't really like hear what she, or read what she says, but you can tell by J. Jonah Jameson's face that she's like going full mom mode on him. Just like, you don't know what she's saying, but she's just like, all right, you better make sure that like he's taken care of and blah, blah, blah. And she, he hands Peter the phone again. He's like, if you ever make me do that again, I'll throw you out a window. <laughs> so, I remember that scene. <laughs> so it's really fun how they like do that a little realistically. It's like, yeah, of course he's got to talk to like his aunt first, like his legal guardian about like working there and going through the, these things. Like he's not reporting in, and he's definitely not having an inappropriate relationship with Betty Bryant. Uh, oh my gosh! Oh god! I kind of like that relationship mainly just because I love the original comics and I can't say anything bad about them. But, yeah, like, you think about it now, it's like, she was, like, as J. Jonah Jameson's secretary, she's, like, an adult, he's, like, a high schooler, and they're, like, dating. It's, like, first of all, workplace, like, romance, kind of awkward. She's older than him. And so I'm glad they just skip over that. They're just, like, you know, they can be friends and stuff, but, wow, that was a that was a time. They kind of cleaned that up, and they're, like, we can skip over that. Because, you know, of course he's got, like, MJ as, like, the ultimate love interest for him, like, the... So that way they kind of just cut to that and skip over like the weird stuff with Betty Brant. I do like him as his friend though. Uh, I think in the spectacular Spider-Man, they kind of did this too, the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon where he initially tries to like ask her to like his fall formal or something. And then eventually like his aunt comes and like visits her just to make sure she's okay. And then she's just like, you're too old for him. And then she kind of says the same thing to Peter. She's just like, "Yeah, I'm too old for you." And they like pay a nice, they like pay a nice, like subtle homage to it. But they're like, "We're not going there. It's a little inappropriate." That was the first episode of Spectacular Spider-Man I ever saw as a kid. Oh, really? Where like she's yeah. like, "I'm too old for you." Yeah, and as a kid, you didn't know this stuff, but like, yeah, a lot of stuff in comics have like some stuff in comics have not aged well, and it reflects. It's really weird for Marvel because like Marvel, the universe technically never aged officially so like it's like a weird uh, weird uncomfortable um what was the whoa, time capsule yeah definitely it really shows its age there it's like all right why is this kid working at a newspaper and why is he dating an adult who works there this, this doesn't smell right especially um one thing else is ultimate marvel with the exception of ultimate Spider-Man, does not have a good record of kids shouldn't date adults that Ooh. that store that theme is not well reflected in ultimate marvel unfortunately and boy that's if that isn't a nice preview for our ultimate x-men conversation i don't know what is oh god like in ultimate x-men it happens so many times but it's like <laughs> it's so bad it is yeah it's terrible uh we'll get there when we get there i'm looking at you professor x jesus okay so <laughs> where were we ultimate spider-man i also wanted to talk about just like the kingpin storyline i remember reading this when i was first getting into comics and man the kingpin was so intimidating to me like it was intense like seeing like small little spider-man go up against this massive unit holy crap that was just intense and like terrifying and like the scene where like you know he puts Spider-Man's mask on one of his enforcers, uh, Mr. Big, and he just, like, crushes his head in his hands. The Kingpin was just, intent, like, insane. Yeah. And 
and this is and I think what I like about Kingpin in this one is that like he's established very early on in in Spider-Man, which 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 is helpful because you know it establishes the role Kingpin has very early on. Yeah, he's as, like the he's basic like a, ruler of New York. Yeah, he's gonna be like a real recurring foe. I mean, Spider-Man like kind of beats him at the end of this, but he just keeps coming back for a while. Anyways, they have like a lot of encounters. I just like the whole idea of it too, because it's like a kid in over his head. It's really depicted really well, where he's like trying to go up against this massive crime boss, and he's kind of naive. He's like, "Why hasn't anyone taken him down?" And you know, adults at the bugle are trying to explain it to Peter. They're like, "Oh, someone's gonna take his place if he's gone," or like, he gives money to the city or whatever. But Peter's like very black and white. Like, "Nope, this guy's a bad guy. I'm gonna take him down." And I think it's also a good display of like. He doesn't beat him at first, but then later on he like gets smart and he's like, I'm going to get access to like his security tapes and I'm going to like get dirt on him and I'm going to beat him the right way. Yeah. And that's the Spider-Man I like to see. Spider-Man using his brain. I think that's one of his, if not his strongest weapon, like his powers are cool, but you can't underestimate how smart Peter Parker really is. Yeah, I I agree. And, and, yeah, and one thing else um, I I should note is that like in in this comic they also established Daredevil, who's you know Daredevil as as a character when they like kids are going oh yeah it's Spider they see Spider they go it's the guy who dresses up in all red in Hell's Kitchen or something. Yeah, they have good references. Yeah, Daredevil, the Punisher. I'm really surprised they like brought Kingpin in for Ultimate Spider-Man. I don't know if this is this is probably before they introduced like Ultimate Daredevil because they have a whole interwoven plot in there. But I think what's cool about Kingpin is he can be both a Spider-Man and a Daredevil villain. So you're like as you go on in Ultimate Spider-Man, you see them cross over and you see them working together against the Kingpin. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, does Daredevil even have his own Ultimate line outside of Ultimate Spider-Man? I think there was like a, a Daredevil and Electra series, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mm. I didn't really read much of that. I mainly read about Daredevil just in the Ultimate Spider-Man series itself. But I know mm. he's got other stuff. I think like in this version, the Kingpin, it's like in the Ben Affleck movie. Ugh, uh, please, no. But it's like in that movie where Kingpin is like really responsible for the death of Matt Murdock's father. So it makes it a lot more personal. Speaking of like connecting villains to the hero, it's a lot like that. And I, I'm guessing that has also crossed over into the. Is that a crossover? Because I don't know much, too much about Daredevil, despite the fact I own a Daredevil comic. Uh, is that one of the things that crossed over from like Ultimates into the movie or like the mainline, mainline how people like pub, um, public public understanding of Marvel? Yeah, I mean, you look at most Marvel movies, like a lot of them, you see ultimate influence there. You see it on Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, uh, The Avengers. Like, it's just a great way to streamline it. That's why we're doing this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Yeah. because of the underrated influence it's had outside. Also, just because, like, it's really fun to think about, but we went over that in our intro, so we'll just... Keep talking about Spider-Man now. This is about him. Yeah. Uh, his first villain in this one is Green Goblin. Another thing that crossed over into the movies. Another thing that establishes Green Goblin as this permanent, um, like, terrifying antagonistic presence in his life. 
Yeah, I think that was done really well because, like I was saying earlier, it's just one another one of those things where it's like they saw how things developed in the main comics, and they're like, let's clean it up. And they're like, Green Goblin's his arch enemy. We didn't know this back in the '60s when we first created him in like Amazing Spider-Man 14. Like nobody really knew that at the time. It developed over time, so now they're like, let's just knowing what we know, just introduce him first because we know he's going to be the main antagonist. We're not going to start with, like, the chameleon, <laughs> which was his first official villain outside of the burglar who killed his uncle. Yeah. Uh, the chameleon, I think, might show up later, but it's like, we're not going to go, like, chameleon and vulture and, like, all these other guys who are, like, still big Spider-Man villains, if you read the comics, but it's like, Green Goblin is the guy. Like, we want to make this, like, it's a very complete story in that you have an overarching villain and if it's anyone it's probably going to be norman osborne or the green goblin like he keeps coming back and it's just awesome that they start with him and they also changed green goblin a lot like like i said earlier like kids mistook him for the hulk in this one like (laughs) unless you watch the ultimate spider-man cartoon or you saw this one scene with green goblin in the spider-verse movie this green goblin is not recognizable to like most casual spider-man fans no yeah because you look at the green goblin in 616 he's got the glider you know he's got like the purple hat and like the gloves and he's got his little bag of tricks and he's strong sure but like he's mainly like this guy flying around throwing pumpkin bombs and stuff this guy is massive ultimate green goblin he is like a massive goblin like on steroids and he's like you know the the kid in the comic was right he looks a lot like the hulk Except, yeah, he's got that big pointy nose and, like, the claws, and he's shooting fireballs out of his hands. It's insane. He's a monster. He, like, he can't talk. He goes, ah, Peter. Yeah, I mean, personally, like, I'm more of a fan of the mainstream one, because, like, he's crazy, but, like, he's coherent. This guy's, like, a, a monster. I mean, he becomes a little more coherent later on, but, like, I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan, honestly, of like the villains in Ultimate compared to how they're done in 616. I think if I had one complaint about Ultimate Spider-Man, that would probably be it. Like they change them. Um, sometimes it's not for the best. I mean, I don't think it's bad. I just prefer the original, you know? Yeah. I know what you mean, but like I do have a soft spot for the villains of Ultimate Spider-Man just because... A lot of the way they're done crossed over into video games. I used to love to play as a kid. And Spider-Man yeah. villains like, are kind of a joke. Like Same reason a lot of Batman villains, with the exception of like two or three, are a joke to most other characters that are not Batman. Most Spider-Man villains are kind of a joke at times. Like Iron Man and Doctor Strange make fun of them. In this one, like the Sinister Six are like an Avengers-level threat. Well, if you want to talk about villains, let's talk about the Shocker. Because I feel like that's the biggest recurring joke in Ultimate Spider-Man, from what I remember reading of that original run. Yeah. Oh you remember yeah, the shocker, shocker shows up? Because he shows up like in the eighth issue or something. It's like, you know, kind of a breather issue after like his origin and before he fights the Kingpin. He just takes out the shocker really quick. It's never a problem for him. And that just keeps recurring. Like the shocker will just keep showing up throughout the series and Spider-Man will like take him down like in between adventures. It's just really the shocker. Poor guy. He's like getting wrecked because he's just got those like shock gauntlets and he became a huge joke in like the video game, too. If you remember Ultimate Spider-Man, how you could like fight regular crime and sometimes he'd just pop up with like ordinary gangsters 
he wasn't yeah. really like a big boss or anything. It's like it's the shocker. Whatever. Well, my favorite is later on, spoilers alert, is that like when Kitty Fry um like talk becomes friends with Spider Man, she says, Your villains are a joke. Look at the shocker. Is he your arch nemesis? <laughs> he goes, He's not my arch nemesis. No, eh, yeah. Yeah, I mean the shocker is like getting wrecked in the series. I think uh, later on there's like an issue in the series where like the shocker gets his revenge and he gets it bad. It's like a really dark issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, but most of the time up until then he was just a recurring gag, and I think that's really fun. I mean, the shocker honestly isn't the most threatening guy. That's why he shows up in like you know in the mainstream universe in like Superior Foes of Spider-Man this series about kind of like C-list villains that are all like trying to like get by in their everyday lives. I recommend that one, but we're talking about ultimate. So for right now, let's just table that. Screw it. Whatever. Nothing, nothing exists outside of ultimate comics. I have thereby decreed. Except for the time 616 and zombies cross over into ultimates, I guess. Oh yeah, of course. But then, then it's gone. Gosh, but I don't know. Overall, I feel like just from this first batch of issues, Ultimate Spider-Man is very much, like I was saying, kind of like an early 2000s teen movie. And I think the whole tone of the thing was so much fun. I think the way they made it a lot more relatable just for modern day teenagers was really great. I mean, you have him like breaking a date with Mary Jane because he has to like go fight the Kingpin. Or you see him, like, at school when the Green Goblin's attacking. You know, so that's just a very modern... I don't know. It's something that's classic to Spider-Man. Like, you would see that in the 60s and stuff. But it's something that also they translated it into modern-day terms. I agree. What is your highlight of this batch of issues? I'm... I'm going to have to say it's the relationship with Mary Jane. I think, like you said, that's one of the things that's changed the most and that, like, kind of carried over into other stuff. But, like, I think a lot of people who haven't read the comics don't know that Mary Jane was not really introduced until, like, like until, like, a bit later into the comics. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the way they developed it so early on. I mean, you got to thank the original comics for, like, developing it down the line but the way ultimate like just went right out of the gate with like this is who she is and this is the character and like coming out of the gate real strong really like benefited the story yeah what about you what what do you think your highlight of ultimate spider-man the first few issues were i think it's just taking the time to develop things more like Honestly, kind of stole my MJ thing, but I'm just going to make up one of my own. No, yeah. You left it out on the the table. Uh, Someone's going to take it. Yeah, you know, this is survival of the fittest. You stole my highlight. I got to make a new one in order to survive. Uh, But just the way things develop, honestly, like you get more time to explore the character and like how he goes. Like you see Peter like learning how to use his powers you see him like thinking like, oh, I got to be smarter. I got to tackle things this way. You get to see him grow a little bit more. And I don't think you got to see that as much in the early comics in 616. I mean, you did in like the first few issues where they're like figuring things out, but you get to see him like figuring out like, what the heck is this tingling in my head? Like that's the spider sense. 
or like, oh, I need to like tackle the kingpin in a really smart way. Or you hear him thinking like, oh, I'm just like making jokes because I'm so nervous. You get to see that develop over time. And I think that's great. And the origin ultimately too. Like seeing the origin play out, it felt like what every Spider-Man movie after Ultimate Comics, uh, it just felt like every Spider-Man movie's origin. So I think you really, that's like the number one takeaway for me for this is just making the origin so that as like a blueprint for future Spider-Man media. Yeah. Uh, but man, I was surprised. Like, I definitely prefer the original comics just out of sheer love for Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, uh, John Romita Sr. But Ultimate Spider-Man, like, just looking at it from this lens, I'm like, they really did a lot just out of love for the original stuff and just in a way that made it cleaner and more approachable. And yeah, definitely recommend to anyone reading Spider-Man for the first time, you just go to Ultimate Spider-Man and that's it. That you got any last requests, Josh? Anything you uh, want to get out into the world? No, uh, no. I have a feeling we're gonna, but I have a feeling we're gonna be t- going back to Ultimate Spider-Man a couple more times throughout yeah. this podcast. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you still got like Miles Morales to get to, and a bunch of other fun things before that. But I mean, you guys know what we're talking about. Miles Morales, big deal. But I think next, what do we go on to? You think in uh, Ultimate X-Men? Yeah, uh, let's take a break from the Spider-Man after this, and we'll go on to Ultimate X-Men. Yeah, we'll be like alternating back and forth just to get a bit of variety in there. But I hope anyone who's read Ultimate Spider-Man has enjoyed it. Uh, soon we'll like set up an email and everything for you to contact us so you can write in and tell us everything you think about Ultimate Spider-Man or Ultimate Marvel or comics in general. Who knows? And uh, it'll be great. But if you haven't read it, definitely recommend it, as we have been doing for the past hour or so. All right, Josh. That's it. That's well, it. We're not going to talk until the next podcast, so I hope you've said everything you need to say, because I will not yeah, speak um, to you then, until then. After this, uh, um, some guy comes to our homes and like staples our mouths shut. Yeah, exactly. And then we, we get the unstapler afterwards, you know, just in case. This is our only use in the world, is speaking into this microphone. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm speaking to a different microphone, so. Oh, yeah, separate ones. Just, you know, social distancing reasons, you understand. Yeah, I think they'll understand, hopefully. Definitely. We'll we'll see you all next time, hopefully. Probably for Ultimate X-Men. And I hope you guys have a fantastic one. Go Ultimate! Go Ultimates. Bye-bye.